Thank you, Pastor Joey. Thank you, uh, Luke. Um, And thank you, Mount Pleasant. Uh, It has been a joy this weekend to hang out with the students over here. Didn't this section look awesome over here? Man, I love it. I love it. It has been truly an amazing weekend. Um, I just wanted to encourage you that God is moving in your students. He is doing a work over here in this section. Uh, And church, continue to pray, continue to support, continue to walk with these young people. And uh, just grateful for the opportunity to be with you guys. Y'all have been awesome. Uh, And uh, really cool that Enon Baptist was able to to join in as well. So appreciate Michael bringing his group over. Uh, So yeah, it's been an awesome weekend. So um, this morning, we're going to kind of close the weekend and we're going to be in Psalm 40. Psalm 40. So if you have your Bibles or if you have access to that on your phone or tablet, whatever you use for the Word, uh, turn to Psalm 40. And and as you're doing so, I just kind of want to recap where we've gone and and, and what we've done this weekend. We've, We've talked about specifically one verse, Romans 12, 9, where it says, Paul writes, Let love be genuine, abhor or hate what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. And so what we did is we broke out uh, each of those phrases and just kind of expanded on those and what the Word tells us and and talks about those things. So uh, on Friday night, we talked about in order to to, to let our love be genuine, we must be motivated and pushed or encouraged to live genuine love out. And this comes when we are motivated by God's love, by our salvation, and by gospel hope. So we looked at 1 John 4 to, to talk about that. Then yesterday morning, uh, we talked about for us to abhor or hate evil, we must have a focus shift in our life. In order to do that, we must lay down anything that, that holds us back, our weights and sins, as Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. We look up and focus on Jesus so that we can live mightily in this world. Then in session three last night, it was a, a, an awesome session. We looked at, at what it means to hold fast to what is good. And if Jesus is our ultimate good, how do we hold fast? How do we grip tight Jesus in our lives? And we looked at Colossians chapter 2 where we talked about in order to do this, we walk in Christ, we are rooted and built up in Christ, we are strengthened in our faith by Christ, but then we also live in overflowing and abounding gratitude for who Christ is. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 40 to kind of close the weekend and talk about these these difficult times in life, or, or pits, as David uh, calls it, as we'll, we'll study today. Um, but before we dive in, you need to understand that uh, Psalm 40 comes within a sequence of a couple of psalms. Psalms 38 through 39, uh, and, or sorry, 37 through 39. And so in Psalm 37, we see that this psalm uh, is on the importance of waiting on God. Waiting on the Lord. Psalm 38 and 39 are David's self-examination of what waiting on the Lord looked like for him. And then today in Psalm 40, we're going to see the joyful and triumphant outcome of waiting on the Lord. So I have a question for you this morning. How many of you love or like, like or love to wait? All right, about the same response as last service. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. None of us like to wait. In fact, our culture has, has even uh, blessed us with fast passes at amusement parks to take us from the back of the line to the front of the line. We have self-checkout at grocery stores. Now, we may not be able to, to stand or we may abhor those uh, and hate those self-checkouts, but they, they are meant to get us out of the store quicker. We even have instant text messaging. Think about that. If we want to reach out to someone, boom, there's a text. 
And we tend to get aggravated or upset when we're, when we're waiting for food at a restaurant because it's taken too long. And in fact, now we have apps to tell us at certain restaurants the process of our food being made and when it's ready. But the simple reality is this, is none of us like to wait. We're all like Veruca from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, okay? Veruca, she wanted the goose that laid the golden egg and she wanted it now. Yeah, absolutely. And so what she does is she sings this, this prideful and arrogant song demanding selfishness, demanding that goose that laid the golden egg. See, none of us here this morning have ever belted a solo like Veruca or maybe we have and we just don't want to admit it, right? But we can certainly relate in times in life when we have to wait on things. And beyond that, we really start to sing this song loud, maybe even just internally when we experience weight in our life that may include a new job opportunity, a physical or spiritual healing of a loved one, results from a medical exam, reconciliation in a relationship, acceptance into a certain school or college. All of these can be difficult and we know that we go through difficult times in our lives. Just think about the last year, right? The last year has been one huge difficult time. But we've waited on the Lord. And he's been at work even in this last year. These and other things can become what David describes as pits that we feel stuck in and we can't find a way out and we just want to give up. But we must remember in those times that we can cry out to the Lord. We wait on him and we praise him all through it as we're in it. So we want results so fast. And not just any results, but we want results that are according to us and what we want. We want the outcome to be what we think it should be. And that's to be expected because we're all fallen, right? And our hearts are bent towards our flesh. But what we find out in this psalm is that God is ever present in our difficult times. In thinking about the last year through the the pandemic and COVID, here's the deal. The world seemingly shut down, but God did not. He is ever present in our waiting. As we wait, God is with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us, and he's with us along the way, and he teaches us through it. And then he's ever present in working in and working through our waiting. So in difficult times and through our waiting, God is teaching us. He is stretching us. He is reminding us that he is ultimately in control. And praise God for that. He's in control, and because he's in control, we can trust him. We can trust him, and he gives us rest, and he gives us peace through all the difficulties. So let's read through Psalm 40, and we'll break it down uh, this morning. So, uh, so let's read. So in Psalm 40, this is what David writes. Now I want you to think about this, okay? So this psalm was technically written as a song, okay? And I'm not going to sing it as I read it to you, okay? So praise the Lord for that, all right? Um, But I want to read it to you, but I want you to think, like, this is a song that David wrote to be sung. And this is what he says. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thought, your thoughts toward us. 
None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, oh, you know, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. But as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. But be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those who uh, be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who desire my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to dive into this scripture. Lord, I thank you for what you did in the last service, Lord. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would continue to do a work here now. Lord, stir within our hearts, Father, what you would have us to take away from your word today. Lord, I pray that you would push me aside. God, you would use me as your empty vessel, God, your instrument of righteousness to, to share the truth of your scripture with our brothers and sisters today. God, may they hear your words, not mine. Father, we thank you, praise you, and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in reading this psalm, we're gonna, we're gonna break it down all right, into two different sections, and I've got a couple of subpoints for each section. So the first one is that as we wait on the Lord through the pits of life, we're gonna praise and proclaim the Lord's rescue. That's the first 10 verses. And then the verses 11 through 17, we're gonna recognize and request the Lord's continued deliverance. All right, so let's look at verses one through 10. And so as we praise and proclaim, the Lord's rescue, we do that by personal testimony. We see here in verse one that David says, I waited, I waited patiently for the Lord. And in the original Hebrew language that this was written, it holds the idea of pressing on to endure in the waiting. So David testifies here that the Lord inclined or turned to him to hear his cry. And so that's the picture of when someone's talking to you, you turn their you turn your ear toward them. Or maybe when a child comes to talk to you, you kneel down so that the child can talk directly in your ear. David is testifying that, hey, guess what? The Lord hears our cries. The Lord hears our prayers. The Lord was making every effort to hear the cry of his servant, and he does the same for you and I. In verse two, we see that he talks about, you drew me up from the pit of destruction, the miry bog. You delivered me, you rescued me from a past hopelessness or helplessness. And that's what, that's what that pit represents. It represents hopelessness and helplessness. Now we don't know specifically what David was going through at the time that he wrote this song, of, uh, this psalm here, but it could be anything from guilt and shame that he had from a personal sin, 
feelings of loneliness, overwhelmingness from being chased or hunted, his just weakness of his heart, or maybe just physical tiredness from leading. But the reality is, is that we all experience these pits and these bogs, right? And we must cry out to the Lord when we're in those. And we wait on the Lord knowing that he hears us. He turns his ear to us. And we trust in the Lord and we wait perseveringly, enduringly, and patiently. David gives testimony here that he has been rescued and firmly established on a rock. And the rock here is metaphorical language but represents a solid foundation for us, brothers and sisters. For us, we must build our lives on the foundation that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our rock. He is our redeemer. And when the winds and the rains of life come at us full force, we are ready to stand firm in who Jesus is and what he's done for us and allow him to hold us up in his strength. There is security, there is safety in the rock because we trust in his given strength which is provided to us by his grace. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter four that we are afflicted in every way, oh, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, oh, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. In verse three, we see David talk about this new song that God's put in his mouth. So as we wait on the Lord and he delivers us from our own pits and bogs, we testify to his goodness and awesomeness by being quick to give him the praise and give him the glory. For David, this flows out toward others so that they might learn from what has happened in his own life and what he's gone through himself. This new song that David has is a song of redemption and recognition of God's grace. And when people hear this song, God uses it to draw others to himself. So here's my question for you. What is the new song that God has put on your heart? What is the new song that God has put in your mouth? And have you sung it? Have you sang that song that God has given you to yourself to remind you of the awesomeness and greatness of God, to your children and your family to reveal to them the awesomeness and greatness of God, or even to others in your life to introduce them to the awesomeness and greatness of God. Sing that song, let it out. Now this is like totally a metaphorical song, but hey, if you wanna sing that song out, whatever the Lord puts in your heart, whatever song God has put in your heart, however he has displayed his awesomeness and goodness in your own life, let it out, sing it out. Paul writes in Ephesians 5 that we as brothers and sisters in Christ ought to greet each other with psalms and, and hymns and spiritual songs. So imagine coming in on a Sunday morning and saying, hey, how's it going? Instead of saying that, saying, hey, how's it going? So good to see you. God is good. This is what he did for me this week. Like, that'd be pretty awesome, you know? That'd be pretty cool. John Piper says this, that our song as believers that we ought to sing is evangelism. It's the gospel. And what's amazing is, is, is God is so good in this. This morning as I was reading over my notes for today, it reminded me of a song. This section reminded me of a song I used to sing growing up in North Carolina at the first Baptist church that I grew up in. Um, a song called Blessed Assurance, right? This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And guess what song the team played this morning? And they had no idea. They played Blessed Assurance in the first service. 
What is our story? Are we going to sing it? Are we going to let it out? Are we going to share it with others? Praising our Savior all the day long. So we also praise and proclaim the Lord's rescue. And moving on here. Verses four and five, by public declaration. So David here moves to publicly declaring that whenever anyone trusts in the Lord, they experience the blessing of salvation by God's grace through faith. They experience this blessing that they did nothing to deserve or nothing to earn, this free gift of salvation. They experience this blessing of being a forever child of the king. Now on the flip side, on the flip side, trusting in anything other than God is considered idolatry. It's considered a lie. And there are many things in this world that fight for our worship, church. But these are all lies, and we must guard ourselves from these and remain faithful to God, who is mighty to save. We see in verse 5 that David publicly declares the wondrous deeds of the Lord. And he describes them as numerous And he's recounting the deeds that he has witnessed the Lord do even in his own life, specifically what he's just talked about in verse one and two. This destruction that the Lord, or this pit of destruction the Lord has brought him out of. And he mentions, hey, God, none can compare to you. And again, this is a reference to the idols and the lies that that he has experienced in his own life. See, for us, we try to find hope. And for the world, this is so true. The world tries to find hope. The world tries to find peace. The world tries to find strength in so many different idols and lies that the world gives itself on the daily. And if we're not careful, church, we can can get sucked into that as well. But only God himself, only God himself can rescue us. Only God himself can rescue this world in his perfect timing and deliver us. And we must remember that God remains sovereign over all. He's in control, including those experiences in life where we find ourselves in different pits or different bogs, those difficult times in life. See, when we go through those times, it tends to occupy all of our thoughts, all of our focus, and then our focus starts to be narrowed into that difficult time. But when we come out on the other side, our focus is then expanded again And we say, yes, God, you were with me and always with me. I should have remembered that when I was going through it. You see, when we're rescued out of the pit, not only do we testify to God's goodness, his grace and his awesomeness, we now know and show that the Lord has never changed. He remains fully faithful to his promises. And when we learn all of this, it's important to embed the truth in our heart so that when we get stuck in another pit, because they will come, We remember these promises and we continue to trust God through it all. Danny Aiken said this, he says, our declaration is this, that the past is full of God's blessings. The present is complete with his care and the future is abundant with his plans. So we also see in verses six through eight, we see that we praise and proclaim the Lord's rescue by sold out surrender by sold out surrender, verses six through eight. David here starts talking about sacrifice and offering. And David, he he didn't negate here the commandment to offer sacrifices, but is instead emphasizing that they should be done and offered with the right attitude of heart. He's referencing the fact that there is an inadequate response to come to God, and that is not 
through simple ritual. We must offer our entire heart, our entire being, our entire will to the Lord. It's a reference of, of 1 Samuel 15, verse 22, where it says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And the words also preview Christ and provide for us a pattern of radical devotion and consecration to the will of God in our lives. So we must make sure that we give God complete obedience, complete devotion that he desires. These verses are also referenced in Hebrews chapter 10 when they talk about Jesus. The writer talks about Jesus. He came to earth so that he could complete the Father's will. And this will was to bear our sins on the cross. Hallelujah. Christ's prayer in anguish in the garden was for God's will to be done. Just a few hours earlier, he said that they may know that I've come to do the Father's will. And see, he had an open ear to God in that moment. Because in that moment of anguish, his response was not my will, but your will be done. And for us as believers, it's, our, it's, it's the same calling. Our calling is to say, hey, God, not my will. My life is not my own. My life is yours. Your will be done in and through my life. It's to confess Jesus as Lord and surrender it all to him. We follow a master in Jesus that has become us and he followed that principle so fully and perfectly that he did it and became our substitute on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, he who made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Closing this section here, we also praise and proclaim the Lord's rescue by purposeful proclamation. Verses nine and 10. David moves on to describe the ways that he has purposely proclaimed the Lord's rescue. David told of glad news of deliverance. And this glad news here in the Hebrew is a precursor of the New Testament terminology for the gospel or preaching the gospel or announcing the good news in the New Testament. And so often we neglect to give God praise that is due him by telling of our glad news. Church, we must continue to tell of the glad news of who God is, what he's done for us, how he's delivered us in our lives. Because here's the deal. Here's the reality. All these young people over here, they need to hear it, okay? They need to hear it. They need to be encouraged by what God's done in your life. And then they need to pass it on to the generations behind them and so on and so forth. That is the biblical command that, that God gives us in, in Psalm 78 and Psalm 145. Just to give you a little snapshot of this generation right here, all right, Generation Z, all right? Typically, it's, it includes anyone born between 1999 and 2015. Right now, statistics say that this generation, this now generation, the, the church of today, okay, that represents the church of today, this generation, has only a 4% biblical worldview. That's down from a 6% biblical worldview for millennials, my, my generation. So you see the trend there. One third of Gen Z say, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church. But only 9% of that third, okay, 9% of that third have truly surrendered and lived their faith out consistently. 
They need you, church. They need you to tell the good news, the glad news of who Jesus is, how Jesus has radically transformed your life because what it'll do is it'll spur them on. Don't think that you're too old. All right, I was reading in Joshua this morning, part of my Bible reading plan, and I love, like God called Joshua out and said, Joshua, you're old. But he said, he said you're just advanced in years. So don't think that, you're, that, that you don't have wisdom that God's given you to share with this, this now generation of the church. Continue to walk with them. Continue to support them and pray for them and share with them. David writes that he has told the glad news of his deliverance. And whenever we are delivered and rescued from sin, whenever we're delivered or rescued from a difficulty, this ought to be glad news. And what we do with, what do we do with glad news? We share it, right? So think about if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, right? All right, they just won the Super Bowl the other month, okay? Or you're a Tom Brady fan who won his like 50th Super Bowl ring or however many he has. He's got like a ton, all right? All right, um, but here's the deal. Those people... The very next day, or actually that night, what were they doing on Facebook? Oh man, Tampa Bay wins, Tom Brady's the GOAT, this is awesome, you know? They told that glad news, all right, for you UVA basketball fans, all right? Y'all have been telling the glad news, all right, and the good news that UVA won the national championship back in 2019, and you still hadn't let that go, all right? Now, we had a COVID year, so last year was canceled, so technically, yes, they still are the national champs, okay? But don't forget the year before, they were the number one seed and lost to the 16 seed. That's the first time it ever happened. We don't talk about that, but we talk about the next year, right? And we hold fast to that. I'm a Duke fan and our season was trash this year, so I don't have anything to say about that. But anyway, um, but glad news, okay? Glad news is this. It's astonishing and convincing proof of God's awesomeness and his amazing power, and we must share it. We can't hide all that God's done and continues to do in our lives. Peter and John in Acts chapter four, they shared the glad news of salvation, even in the face of persecution. When they were told to stop sharing this glad news, they responded with this in verses 19 and 20 of Acts chapter four. Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. But we, we are unable to stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. You can't hold us back. Y'all, the world can't hold you back from the good news that you carry out of these doors, out of these walls, into the world, into your community. Nothing can hold that back. Share and sing that with confidence. See, these verses are not just telling about or sharing of the glad news, but also that our lives must bear witness to this glad news out of our own experiences. So that's, that was the first section of, of, of this psalm. And you're like, bro, we still got more? Just a little bit more, okay? Just a little bit more. So the second half of this psalm, okay? The second half of this psalm, we see David take a shift here where he, he finds himself in another tough situation, another pit, if you will. But we see that he recognizes and requests the Lord's continued deliverance. And so we're gonna see how this applies to our lives. And what we see in verses 11 through 13, we see that David does this by a humble confession. A humble confession. David confesses to the Lord, your love and your truth always protect me. Even during all of the down and difficult times, Lord, your love and your truth always protect me. 
See, there's a false thought out there that once we get out of one pit, that then we'll never go through another tough or difficult time or, or enter into another pit. But we have to understand that just because we go through one difficult time doesn't mean that we'll never go through another difficult time. We live in a fallen world. All those times are gonna come, but we can rest assured that God is with us. He's protecting us. And this is a result of, of, of a fallen world that David realizes that even though the Lord has helped him out of this pit that he described earlier, that he's gonna continue. He's gonna continue to deliver him through other pits and that gives him strength. That gives him hope. That gives him peace. He also confesses sin here. He gets really honest and confesses sin. And through these verses, we see God is faithful to help us and rescue us in the area of personal sin. See, he is always faithful, church. He is always faithful to hear our confessions of repentance. And he's always faithful to forgive us and deliver us from our sin. We see that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. We also see that as we recognize and request the Lord's continued deliverance, that that's done by a humble plea. And we see that David here, verses 14 and 15, talks about his personal enemies and asks God to, to, to take care of his personal enemies. Now, you may look at that and be like, well, aren't we supposed to love our enemies? Yes, absolutely. So this isn't to be seen as vindictive, but this is just an on, a raw and honest plea from David. David's enemies did not have the right to take advantage of David's misfortunes or his mistakes. So that his own sin discourages David, the attacks of his enemies can arouse in him a sense of injustice, but this too must be brought before the Lord. And that's, just, that's what we see David doing, is bringing this to the Lord. It bothered him, so he brought it to the Lord. And we, can, we too can ask the Lord to protect us, but we put the whole matter in his hand. And that's what David did. David put the entire matter in his hand. He was specific in his prayer that his faith, that he and his faith entrust the entire matter to the Lord. Essentially, David says this, I want what is right, but I leave it all in your hands. And in, in this strategy, we note that when we pray that way, God's gonna get the glory, not us. And honestly, that's the way it should be. <laughs> so in these times, we can pray the same way while ultimately leaving it all in God's hands, knowing and trusting that the Lord is in control. He's in control. Now, David concludes this psalm as he recognizes and requests the Lord's continued deliverance. And as we do the same thing, we see a joyful reflection in verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, he says, God helps all that follow and seek him. So we approach God for help in our life because he is God. And we rejoice and are glad because the Lord is great and salvation can only come through him. So this is a joyful reflection because salvation points us to the God who saves. To love his salvation is to love him. That is why the text does not say salvation be magnified, but no, the Lord be magnified. Verse 17, he reflects in this last verse, that God even helps me. And he points back to where we began in verses one through three. That yes, God even helps me. He turns his ear to me. He hears my cry and he delivers me. Amazingly, the Lord thinks about us and he thinks about us when, with an intent to help and deliver. That is who he is. The Lord is my help. The Lord is my deliverer. We humbly pray 
Come quickly, but do it in your time, not mine. According to your plan and purpose, God, not mine. Because you were right on time on the third day with an empty tomb for your son, Jesus. I believe and I trust in you. So to recap, while we wait on the Lord in the pits of life, we praise and proclaim the Lord's rescue by personal testimony, public declaration, sold out surrender, purposeful proclamation. And then we recognize and request the Lord's continued deliverance by humble confession. Starts there, starts with confession, an honest plea, but joyful reflection. So just in a little phrase to kind of wrap up the whole sermon, and you might be thinking, well, why didn't you say that 20 minutes ago? It's this, triumphant waiting. Triumphant waiting in life equals ultimate trust in the Lord. It's that simple, but it's that hard too. (laughs) Triumphant waiting equals ultimate trust in the Lord. So if if you're here today, if you feel like you are in a pit, like you're just, you're just going through stuff, you feel stuck, know and encourage that there is a way out of the pit this morning and it is through Jesus. This psalm is vital for our lives because it shows us how we can be rescued and delivered from the pits of life, yes, but also it shows us how we can be rescued and delivered from the ultimate pit of life and that is sin which separates us from God and it's through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in which we are saved. See, we're separated from God because of our sin, but God in his great love for us sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, both 100% man, 100% God, all at the same time. And he willingly and joyfully submitted to his father's will and served as the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, for your neighbors, for our state, for the nation, for the world, and paid the sacrifice and the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. Oh, but church, three days later, this is the glad news that we sing, right? This is the glad news that we tell. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead to defeat sin, to defeat death, and offer forgiveness of sin to you and to me and to all who believe and confess Jesus as Lord. And in that, we claim victory. We sang it here this morning. We have victory, and we can stand firm and solid in that victory, knowing that, yes, Jesus claimed victory, but we also share in that victory and we live it out boldly and confidently in our lives. So if you're here today and you're going through a pit, cry out to the Lord. He he has turned his ear toward you. He will hear you. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with Christ, trust him today. Trust him today and allow him to give you that glad news to share. If you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, know that God wants you to approach him in prayer. He wants to communicate with you. So when we approach God in prayer, we must be humble, understanding that he is God and we are in need of his grace, his love, and his mercy on the daily in which he freely gives us. And if you need prayer, cry out to him. Surrender to him. Seek forgiveness. Whatever the case may be, as Pastor Joey comes, we want to give this, this, this next few minutes just as an opportunity for you to respond to whatever God's telling you to do in your heart. We just pray that you would be obedient. So thank you, church. Pastor Joey, come on up.